Hello and welcome to Shrinkwrap, a podcast created specifically for psychiatrists to provide you with bite-sized insight from leaders in your field. My name is Arden Thomason. I'm the CEO and founder of Thalamus, a company which creates bespoke software for psychiatrists. Our goal is to create the digital tools that you need to deliver the best possible care for your patients. This week's podcast is a phone conversation I had with Hilary Eagles, Head of Business at Winterhead, which runs the Mental Health Act Approvals Panel for the South of England. Hilary and I speak about how to become Section 12 approved, some of the common mistakes doctors make with the application process, and how they make sure to continue to practice legally. I hope you enjoyed listening. Hilary, thank you very much for joining me this morning and for agreeing to speak to us, uh, Shrink Rat. I'm keen, if we may, to just kick off with some of the questions we normally do at the end, but we'll do them at the beginning today. First one being, what is it that you do to de-stress from this wonderful world of psychiatry? Okay. Well, I enjoy travel, great passion for travel. And alongside my travel, I have a great passion for photography, which keeps me very busy and occupied and takes my mind off of the world of psychiatry. I also enjoy playing bowls. I read a lot and I enjoy walking. There you go. What are you reading at the moment? I'm reading Gerald, an old book, uh, Gerald Durrell's My Family and Other Animals, which is a very good very funny book. He's a very funny writer and he's a conservationist and it was about his childhood and how he developed his love of animals. It's very good, very funny. He makes Princess Anne laugh out loud with his books, so he must be good. Um, and where did you last go away? So did, you, did you do the photography when you were travelling as well then? Yes, I do. Oh, yes, that, that's my main area of photography. And my last trip was four weeks ago where we went to Borneo to see the orangutans and the proboscis monkeys. Wow. Which was lovely, but quite sad to see there was no rainforest left, just really? palm oil trees. Really? Yeah. It was, it was, it's a beautiful country, but it's been destroyed by palm oil, sadly. That's very sad. We could probably talk for ages, but clearly okay. we here to talk about shrink wrap in the world of psychiatry. And as you know, we are trying to provide psychiatrists with content they perhaps can't get elsewhere. And you, I understand, are the head of business for Winterhead and the statutory approvals panel for the South of England. Could you give us a little introduction to Winterhead and what it is that you do? Yeah, no problem. Winterhead was I'll just give you a bit of background. In April 2014, the strategic health authorities were abolished who had the statutory responsibility for the approvals. Winterhead was set up by myself and Dr. David Skull, and we bid to run the function in the south of England. We were the first statutory function to ever be contracted out of the NHS, so we were very pleased to do that. And what we do is we run the approval process for Section 12 doctors approved clinician doctors and non-medical approved clinicians. Our role is to encourage doctors to become approved, to help and support them throughout the process through every step of the way and ensure that their applications are dealt with in a timely manner and their approvals run smoothly. Okay. So what does a, you say you're encouraged to get doctors approved. Why do you encourage doctors to become approved? 
Well, for Section 12, there is a, a country or an England-wide shortage of Section 12 doctors. So we feel our role is to do everything to help and support doctors to become Section 12 approved. And with again, there is a shortage of approved clinicians. And so, again, we feel it's the, the role of Winterhead, the role of the South of England panel to get these doctors to a state where they can become approved. And initially, if they don't meet the criteria, then we give them advice on what they need to do so they then meet the criteria for approval and and then we can facilitate their approvals. Okay. So how does a doctor become Section 12 approved? What's What's the process that they have to go through? Well, they have to meet one of four criteria. All doctors for Section 12 approval must attend a two-day Section 12 induction course. Um, This must be validated by one of the four panels in England. They must submit a full CV. They must have evidence of up-to-date CPD, either um, 50 hours signed off by two peer group members or a Royal College of Psychiatrist Certificate of CPD. If a doctor's in training, then then they must have an up-to-date, satisfactory ARCP, and they must be able to provide us with two referees, one of whom must be a consultant, Section 12-approved doctor, and one of the other referees could be an appraiser, an AMP, a current medical or clinical director. If the applicant is an independent doctor, they must also provide us with a DBS. And if they can't provide us with a DBS, then we can do a DBS for them at Winterhead. And then there's four criteria they must meet. And so all doctors must provide what I've just said. And then they must meet the criteria of a member of the Royal College of Psychiatrists and then the application form, etc. Or they must be a specialist in psychiatrists and on the GMC specialist register and then complete the application form. If they were a GP, they would need to be a member of the Royal College of General Practitioners and have a minimum of three years full-time experience in a salaried or principal post and have substantial experience in the diagnosis and treatment of mental disorder and four months in a supervised psychiatric training post and meet the other requirements. For doctors who are not a member of the Royal College of General Practitioners or a member of the Royal College of Psychiatrists, they need to have a minimum of four years full-time experience in a psychiatric training post or a non-consultant career grade post or a salaried principal GP post. And these doctors must also undertake two supervised mental health act assessments plus all the requirements that were previously mentioned. Um, The other criteria which is very rarely used is for forensic medical examiners and they have to be a member of the faculty of forensic medical examiners to supervise assessment and meet the other criteria. So that's the four criteria for Section 12 approval. Okay, how do they start? Do they approach you? Yes, the best thing to do is to phone our office and we'll have a discussion with them about where they are in their career and then we will advise them as to whether they would meet the criteria for Section 12 approval. And if they do, we then advise them how to, you know, we send out the application pack and ask them to complete the application form, etc. And if they don't meet the criteria, then I will tell them what they must do to, to meet 
to meet the criteria because the criteria are set down by the Department of Health. It's legislation. We have no flexibility or, or no discretion. We, the practitioner must meet the four criteria that are in the Department of Health instruction. But we will do everything we can to help and support them with advice to meet that criteria. So once they've completed the application form and submitted it to you, what happens next? Okay. We write to the referees and seek references. We run checks with NHS England and the GMC to make sure there's no alerts out on the doctor or they don't have any conditions to their approval that would um, exclude them from becoming Section 12 approved and to make sure they're registered with a license to practice. When we get the references back and we've run our checks, we then send our applications to two panel members who will who, who are very experienced and will review their application and give us our opinion as to their suitability for approval. If come back and they're suitable for approval, they then receive a letter from our office giving them five years Section 12 approval and the letter will describe, give them information on what they can use our approval for. And if they're not suitable for approval, we go back and tell them what they need to do to become suitable for Section 12 approval. What are the most common reasons that they're not suitable? Usually the most common reason is lack of not enough experience. So if they're not a member of the Royal College of Psychiatrists, they often apply before they've had the full four years. The second cause of them not being suitable is their referees, who usually one of the referees is a line manager says that they feel the doctor at that time needs another six months experience or a little bit more experience. And they're the two commonest causes of doctors not getting Section 12 approval on their first application. What are the most common mistakes people make in the application process? Okay, the most common mistakes we have in the application process is where they do not complete the application in full and without error. Now, if an application form, which is quite a simple application form, is not completed without error, then the panel will reject it because the panel's view is if they can't complete an application form, then how can they complete the statutory detention papers without error? So all, my advice to doctors is always pay particular attention to your application form. The second issue we have with an application is a doctor's CV. The CV will either be 30 pages long and quite difficult to navigate to find out if they've met, you know, how much experience they've had. Or many doctors don't put the dates of their period of work down. So they may put in 2018, they did this job, this job and this job, but they didn't say the dates of the job. So it's very difficult for us to calculate that they've got their four years experience. They are the two main areas that cause problems. Fill out the form properly and make sure you've got your CV up to date. Easy read CV. It's something that we, we've noticed because we, we get hundreds of CVs in a week. They're very poor at CV writing. Always start with their early career and it's at the back of the CVs, our current career, where it would be very helpful if they could start the CV with what they're doing currently and then work backwards. I've noticed that actually with 
other docs. I think, as you know, uh, yeah. there's a few doctors in the family. And I also have a couple of friends, very dear friends who are doctors. And they kind of have two CVs. They have, well, I beg your pardon. They kind of have an academic CV, which is yeah. very detailed and about all the research that they've done. And that I think they share with their seniors. Do you think they should also have a non-academic CV for things like this, which is more yeah. functional in terms of jobs and date? Absolutely, because what the panel want to see is what they've done clinically. It's more right. important. We, we, we focus on their clinical work more than their academic work. So we don't need the detail of, of what they've done academically, but we need the detail and the dates of what they've done clinically. So if they did one on a page or two, that would be enough for you? Absolutely. Um, okay. And it's clear, it's succinct, and it's concise, and it's easy for the panel then to add up that four years or more experience to see exactly what they've done and where they've done it. We need to know where they've done their experience because that's relevant. That's very helpful. Thank you. So if a doctor uh, or other is not successful in their first application for reasons of either their referees or uh, they fill that out wrong, can they? how, how soon can they apply again? Okay. If it's an application form, we're quite um, helpful in the office. And we, if it's glaringly obvious on the application form, there's been some errors. Before we submit it to the panel, we will return it to the doctor and just say, can you amend the application form? If it has gone to the panel, if it's something we've missed, then we, we just go back straight away to the doctor and say, the panel have picked this up. They've asked you to correct it. And that can be done immediately. If the referees haven't recommended that the applicant is ready for Section 12 approval, then we will we will go back to the, the doctor and say, we've asked the referee to let us know when they feel you're ready to become Section 12 approved. And the referee will let you know, and then you can reapply. So we hand it back almost back to the organisation to say, when you feel this doctor's ready, let us know and we'll invite them to reapply. Okay. And occasionally the referee reference, um, because for, for our overseas doctors, they have to have worked with the referee for a minimum of three months. They sometimes have only worked for two months. So we'll go back and say, work with the referee for another month, get a new reference and reapply in four weeks time, five weeks time. So we always okay. give them a time scale of when, according to the information we have, we will give them advice and the time scale as to when they can reapply. So they're successful in their application. They get yep. a letter from you saying that they've been successful and they're now approved for five years. They can now go and do Section 12 work. Do you yep. know or do you get asked by the doctors where they can find this work, how they, how they yes. start actually practicing as a Section 12 doctor? Yes, we get asked this all the time. They can work anywhere in England and Wales as a Section 12 approved doctor. And what we recommend they do is contact the Mental Health Act administrators at their local trusts and ask for the contact details of the duty teams, the social service duty teams. They ring the duty teams up and they say to the duty teams, they're now Section 12 approved and they're available to undertake Section 12 work and the duty teams will make a note of that. And they will also go on the Section 12 register, which the AMPS can access. But it's always better if they're proactive and if they go to the social services, to the AMP teams and say, 
I'm now available and I'm happy to do assessments within these hours, nine to five, five o'clock to midnight, whatever. And that the social workers uh, or the AMPs will make note of that and then they know they can call them. And then they're approved for five years. Yeah. What happens at the end of that five years? As long as they keep us informed of where they are, because when they move, it is a requirement and a condition of approval that each time a doctor moves professional address or private address, they, they should let the panel know or us, the administrators know. Nine months prior to their approval expiry date, we write to them and invite them to renew. We send them the details, the application form, the details of the one-day refresher course they must attend, ask them for an up-to-date CV, again, evidence of CPD. And as long as we know where they are, they get all the information. They attend the course, fill in the application form, send us the CPD, CV. We run the same checks on them again. And if they're independent, we, we run a new DBS certificate for them. And then they're reapproved. It goes to panel and they're reapproved. If they move, if a doctor moves, and this is a big mistake doctors make, they move, they don't think about their Section 12 approval, they don't tell us they've moved, they don't tell the new region where they've moved to, and we can't find them. And there's a risk then that they could work unlawfully because their approval expires. And we have two or three of these every year, all because they haven't remembered to ring our office and tell us they've moved. Can they do that by another means? If they submit an email address, do you send them email reminders or anything? Or is it always by letter at the moment? No, never by, we do everything by email. So it's a mm -hmm. simple email or telephone call just to say we've moved, especially if they've moved out of region and they've gone to work in another area, say London or up north, and they haven't told, we have no way of knowing where they are. The GMC will help us. But if they haven't told the GMC they've moved, then they're lost. Right. Um, and, and as I say, then there's a risk their approval will expire and they carry on undertaking Section 12 work, which could be unlawful. Is that the most common mistake you come across one of people yes. who are approved? Yes, absolutely. Are there any other errors that doctors make during the approval period that they should be wary of? Not generally. Not generally. The only other area they need to let us know, but the GMC do let us know, is if they have any conditions to their approval. We need to know because it may affect whether they can remain approved or not. But generally, the main mistake is people moving around and not telling us where they are. Now, you were at our Introduction to Independent Practice training course last week. Thank you very much for coming to that. There was a few questions that were raised there for the trainers around note keeping and uh, record keeping whilst they are operating independently. Do you have yeah. any bits of advice for doctors about how they manage themselves, how they effectively manage themselves when they're outside of the embrace of their trust? Independent doctors, it is important for them to keep a record of the assessments they undertake. They have to meet GDPR requirements. It is important that they do keep their own notes and they keep their own notes secure of each assessment they, they have undertaken as an independent practitioner because if that assessment is ever challenged or 
there is a complaint put against them. If they didn't have notes, then a judge would turn around and say, well, doctor, you do lots of assessments, but this patient has only had one assessment, so I'll take what the patient says. But the notes must be kept securely and should not, the one advice, a common error of referrals to the GMC has been where doctors keep notes in the notebook and they take the notebook out with them. So there's multiple notes in the notebook and then they can leave the notebook behind by accident. It's been one example of what you shouldn't do. You should write the note and keep them securely when you've returned from the assessment. Thank you. My next question, you were involved, I understand, in the last time there was a review of the Mental Health Act in 2007. Yes, that's And right. the Act is changing again with Sir Simon Wesley's review, which was published in December, and then Theresa May last week, I think, or two weeks ago, announcing a white paper by the end of the year to enact some of his recommendations. How do you see the Act changing uh i'm asking you to look in your crystal ball a little bit but how do you see the act changing and what effect do you think that might have on section 12 doctors well on the basic approvals that i don't think there's going to be any effect on that i think the approval process will remain the same certainly for the foreseeable future however what will change for the doctors is that the government are currently looking at changing the detention criteria ctos care planning tribunal roles, the SOED. And so there will be numerous changes to the work of that role. So it'd be the same to become approved, but when they carry out the functions, because the detention criteria will change uh, for Section 12 doctors, they will need to be very aware when the changes come in. And for ACs, looking after the patients, a detained patient on the ward, there will be many changes to that and to CTOs. How should doctors keep themselves aware of these changes and, and up to date? Are there any particular training courses you'd recommend or literature they should be reading? There's no training courses because it's still quite early stages. Although mm-hmm. I do think, I mean, and I do know as we speak today, there is consultation with various groups around the country on the proposed changes. What I would recommend doctors to read is the short version rather than the 385 page or whatever, very long version, is of the Modernising the Mental Health Act, the Harris Report from December 2018, just to give them an idea of what is changing in the future. And then once um, the white paper gone through and once we're coming into implementation, and we I know from previous experience, it takes at least a year to two years before changes are implemented, then I know there will be courses run by various course providers across the country giving information on changes, which I think every every practitioner and every trust would need to ensure all their doctors attended. Is that, is that something Winterhead will offer in the future or not? It's something Winterhead may consider offering. And if we decided it, it wasn't our role to offer it, it would be something we would support training providers in offering. It's something Winterhead would certainly advertise. So if they keep an eye on the Winterhead site, they'll be up to speed with, with what's going on yeah. from a training point of view? Yeah. Download the short version of the Harris report from the site. That's on the Winterhead site too, is it? Yes, it is. So what's next for Winterhead? Have you plans on providing other services to doctors or not? Well, what's next really in our upper 
mind is our contract is up for renewal, renewal in March next year. So we're currently preparing to tender for the contract. At the moment, we're not looking to provide any other services. We're quite happy being a signposting organisation, but I understand there are changes coming forward to the deprivation of liberty safeguards, is changing to the liberty protection safeguards. There's all this changing to the Mental Health Act. So we're we're keeping an open mind as to what our role is going to be within all these changes and see what we can do to help practitioners with these changes. So, as I say, we're just sort of keeping an open mind and, and having discussions as to where our role may lay in the future. So if doctors in the southern region want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? The easiest thing is always an email because I only work two days a week. So I do tend to respond to emails or they can telephone us, telephone the office because there's always someone there that can give them good advice. What's the website again? I assume all the numbers are on the website. Our numbers are on the website. It's uh, www.winterhead.co.uk. Brilliant. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? I would just wrap up by saying one area, uh, doctors often ask other doctors for advice which around approvals, which is often not correct. And it's much easier if they just pick up the phone or send us an email and we can give them the right advice at all times to make sure they remain lawfully approved. And that's it, really. Just, you know, contact our office. We're here to help. Excellent. Well, that's a nice way to close. Thank you ever so much for joining us, Hilary. We appreciate your time. And I'm sure doctors, if they have any questions, will get in touch with with you and and Kerry over at Winterhead and have a look at your website and keep your eyes out for, for training courses. Thank you ever so much. Thank you, Arden. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, that you'll share us with your colleagues. We're also always interested in your feedback, in particular if you think there are topics we should be covering in the near future. Please just drop me an email at arden.thalamos.co.uk. Our next episode will be out in a fortnight. We look forward to speaking with you again then.